Baby boomers. I used to be with it. Millennials. Okay, boomer. Generation X. What's going on? And Gen Z. <laughs> what do they have in common? Not a lot, it turns out. But one thing they can agree on is that this is the political podcast they want to listen to. Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at political events, news and happenings across the world and at home through a generational lens. Your hosts are Dr. Emily Stacy and Professor James Davenport, two political scientists from Rose State College. But the views expressed on this program are solely the views of the host and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. Coming up on today's program, well, stand your butt up. This is about math books, people. Quit this nonsense. They pay us to talk about politics. And now, here are James and Emily. Hey, Emily, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I am doing all right. It has been a interesting week or so uh, in this nation and in this state. To say the least. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on. I want to talk about... Uh, do you ever watch MMA fighting or stuff? I, I, I do not. I can say that I am not well versed in the sport. You know, we have a U.S. senator from here in Oklahoma who uh, claims to be a former uh, MMA fighter uh, and uh, has a record. I th- There's a dispute whether it's 3-0 and or 5-0. and So oh, you know, I didn't realize Yes, I, oh I read an article about that just the other day. Contested uh, and record, so, my goodness. Uh, and uh, apparently there was some hostility between uh, Senator Mullen, uh, Mark Wayne Mullen from here in Oklahoma, the, the junior senator from Oklahoma. I don't think I would call him that on, on uh, the might, ra- he might <laughs> on the airwaves. Yeah, right. I know, I know, but that, that's don't the term diminish we, him, sir. That's the term we use for the more recently elected one, yes, right? Yes, that's true, yes. Um, and so he and, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, the, he's the head of the Teamsters Union. Yeah, Sean O'Brien. Fain. Oh, Fain, oh, that's yeah, right. Sean Fain, yeah. That, that's right. Okay. We got there, Sean. Uh, give us a minute, we'll come up with it, between, right? Between the two of us. <laughs> so he and Sean Fain, they'd had a prior committee meeting that had some tweets back and forth or, you know, and apparently Mullen didn't like something that uh, Mr. Fain had uh, uh, posted on Twitter. Uh, another reason why maybe we should just all take a step back from Twitter. But that's another comment for another day, you know, another story. But anyway, uh, and so read off some of these comments in this committee he- meeting, right? He was looking for a, a I think a he was. Yeah. Well, he was uh, certainly looking for some attention, yes. I think, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the 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 guy, the, the Fane said something along the lines in one of his tweets, anywhere, anytime. Cowboy. Right, kind of, right cowboy. Yeah. Uh, and so in this meeting, Mullen said, this is a time and this is a place, you know, and Fain said, I'm ready to go. And he, and the, I think the quote was, well, stand your butt up. Yes. Is that what I think that's what Mullen said, right? It was. And let me just pause here because I love the irony that we're totally okay with throwing down on the Senate floor, uh, you know, decorum or in, in a Senate committee, um, but we're not gonna say the ASS word, right? We're gonna we're gonna use right. I think that's that's the line in Congress, I guess now. I just so, wanted to point that out. So yeah, so and then uh, Fain's response is, well stand your butt up first. And so Mark Wayne Mullen does. And who comes in as peacemaker? Senator Bernie Sanders. I don't right. Know if it like, was peacemaking. Uh, exactly. He was like this is a Senate committee hearing. This is not, you know, the octagon or whatever he said. But uh so there wasn't any actual violence, right. but there was a lot of talk, a lot of, and I'm wondering if this is going to be a trend, right? So uh, we also had an episode where uh, former Speaker McCarthy was accused of elbowing yes. another colleague. Uh, Walking in, down a hallway, yeah, I believe, right. a corridor, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, maybe this is how we're going to settle disputes in Congress now. We're just going to put them in a ring and say, hey, whoever go, whoever wins, wins, and and that's that's what we're going to do. So we're just repeating history. We're just going we're back, just right? Going back. I mean, Duels without the the guns. I hope. I mean, I hope that well, doesn't. So Mullen, in he did some interviews after this and was yeah. talking about like you know in the Senate we used to bring canes in and beat people with them that we didn't like, and maybe we need to do that to put some discipline back in and get people to think about what they're going to say. I just don't know about that. Uh, right? Yeah, it is true, right? So there was an instance uh, in the U.S. Senate where uh, one senator caned another senator and put him in a coma for a few days. Wow. So. 
uh, that he's not incorrect on that, but I don't know that, that a lot of people want to go back to that time. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that civil rights and liberties weren't really being observed at the time that this senator was caned. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, this was like 1830s or something. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and um, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I thought we had emerged from this notion that violence for the sake of politics was acceptable. Yeah. Right? I thought we had left that back in the 19th century. I agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, his response is, he wants to frame it as distinctly Oklahoman, right? In Oklahoma, you we know, don't put up with that. Exactly. Kind of yeah. If you you flip somebody off, you better expect to get your finger broke. Uh, is it was another direct quote um, from your sitting senator? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We've come so full circle at this point in American politics. It's. I don't know. It's volatile. It's dangerous, obviously. I'm glad that Mark Wayne Mullen had some sense about him to listen to Bernie Sanders because that was something I didn't anticipate at all. Um, I I almost almost was afraid that Sanders would inflame, you know what I mean, by trying to calm him down. It would only, right, right, exactly. So I'm glad that Mullins, you know, had some sense about him to not get hauled out of the Senate (laughs) committee room. Um, But yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, uh, I really get the sense this was more of a media stunt oh, than it was. This is more yeah. puffery. And, uh, and and one of the things he said, and I'm not sure he's totally wrong about this, is, well, my constituents expect this of me, right? right. In one of his interviews, after he, that, uh, they would have been mad at me if I didn't do this. I'm not entirely yeah. certain he's 100% wrong on that. No, I agree. No, there's certainly a flavor of of conservative in this state that eats that up, right? It's the, you know, let's go, Brandon. It's the, right, it's that. That's right. So uh, there you go. There's your your, uh, uh, example, the the shiny example of our leaders in in Washington, D.C., Modeling appropriate behavior for all the young children, I guess. Right? Yeah. Why does it always have to be one of ours? Uh, <laughs> another uh, uh, another uh, thing that we probably need to discuss real quickly. Uh, so there was a leak of a couple of, of um, uh, videos of testimony of two Trump attorneys. I think one was uh, during their, their plea arraignment. Uh, another one was uh, either of a deposition or something. But uh, so Jenna Nelson... Uh, basically says in her her um, plea arraignment that, well, uh, all these attorneys, all of us had told Trump mm-hmm. that the election was probably lost. Yeah. And I forget who it was, but it was someone senior to her in the administration under in Trump's uh, staff says, well, the boss doesn't plan on leaving no matter what. And I'm like, oh, that's, I had not, envisioned that anybody would say that out loud anywhere. I might have thought that Trump might have those kind of proclivities. Uh, And I had, but I had hoped that anybody working for him would have said, uh, as, as Nelson says, she told that person, it doesn't work that way. Uh, But it doesn't, it seems like at least a few people around Trump were like, we're "We're all set. Yeah. We're we're staying here and they're going to have to move us out by, you know, by force. Uh, so that wasn't good. Um, Sydney Powell, another Oklahoma connection. So Sydney is from uh, an attorney who's from Oklahoma, was leading the charge on a whole bunch of conspiracy theories about how the the, the election was stolen and mm-hmm. faulty machines, voting machines, and some tide of Venezuela. And all I mean, just out there stuff. Uh, and admitted that most of that was fabricated, you know, uh, but also uh, made a comment that, yeah, the one reason why I had the ear of Trump is that uh, I was the only one not telling him he actually lost the election. Right. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> what do we do with uh, and, and my question to folks who are thinking about marking the ballot for Trump mm-hmm. is, what will it take to convince you he should not be in office again, right? What what does it take, right? These are not people. These are all people. And this was the thing about the uh, the uh, January 6th hearing that, that Congress did, you know, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are not people who were opposed to Trump. These are not people who didn't like him. These are people who were working for him who have now said, this is what was going on, yeah. right? Uh, and I'm just wondering, what's it going to take? 
what is it going to take for that polling number that we still see where he's way ahead of any of these other other uh, Republican candidates? What's it going to take for you guys to say maybe there's a better alternative? Is it a bigger fish? Is it a Meadows? Is it a Giuliani turning over? What? I, I yeah, mean, I, it's, but I don't get the sense that it's any of that. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, there, there's something there that these people see in him that goes beyond any of this, yeah. right? And it scares me because if you remember on the campaign trail uh, in 2016, uh, he said something along the lines: "I could walk out and shoot somebody on Broadway." And my followers would be right there supporting me, right? And it scares me that that's more true than I wanted to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when you couple it with the last story about Mullins and the the violence, right? The the hostility that is becoming extraordinarily volatile um, in in the political climate in America. Um, I, I don't know. It's par for the course right now. And how do we get back to really civil discourse? How do we get back to agreeing to disagree? I, you know, I don't know. And I've, it feels like, again, and I've said this before, it just feels like all of our institutions are driving us to that kind of polarization, right? Yeah. Uh, the media, social media for sure, uh, uh, interest groups, yeah. uh, they're all pushing us to view each other Uh, not as people who want the same things by and large, but disagree on how to get there. They want to view us as combatants, as uh, enemies, and and people who we have to conquer you, whoever you is, right? Is it easier for them? I mean, in relation to what we are constantly talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, these two political parties don't have a majority, right? The the majority of Americans identify as independents and can go either way. And so that polarization keeps them at least uh, in some sort of control over a a fraction of a fraction of their base. I was listening to some political scientists discussing some uh, uh, recent research on polarization. Mm -hmm. And the kind of the bottom line of this research was a lot of people today are electing more extreme candidates, left and right, Mm -hmm. more extreme candidates because Uh, basically because they don't view that Congress is actually going to do anything. And if Congress is not going to get anything done, we might as well have the person out there who entertains us the most or who feeds us the the very raw red meat kind of stuff that we want, as opposed to a more moderate who's going to actually do the job of figuring out how to practically craft legislation that does something, right? What do we do in that instance? What do you do? That was the question. When the people's body no longer works for the people when it's not functioning and and we're seeing and we talked about this before you know you have uh some on the right and the matt gates uh faction you have a few on the left they're not there to facilitate legislation they're not there to uh solve problems they're there for some other purpose and they don't care if they burn the the institution down in the process yeah being the loudest voice in the room is not governance right but it gets you a lot of uh, followers on Twitter, apparently. I don't know. I guess. And again, um, I reluctantly point out that a lot, of, a lot of these folks are from my generation. So, <laughs> yay, millennials. We'll st- we're still winning. <laughs> uh, we also had some interesting stuff here in the state, sure. locally, right? Yeah. Uh, so there was a, an article that came out that talked about nobody is surprised that uh, to learn that uh, Governor Stitt has been in a, a, it seems like a fairly constant uh, conflict uh, with the Native American tribes over various issues, right? Uh, and But there was an article that came out that talked about how much in legal bills yeah. that uh, the state was having to pay for these conflicts. I think you, you had mentioned uh, something about that. Yeah, so I need to preface this with uh, the article is by the lovely and fantastic Carmen Foreman, who will be here uh, on our next podcast episode uh, with the Oklahoma Voice. We're very excited to talk to her um, specifically about uh, this and other stories that she may be working on. But yeah, um, LOFT, right, the Legislative Office of Fiscal Transparency, uh, reported that OMES uh, is paying for the 
legal fees for these state tribal disputes, uh, and they put a figure of $3.3 million um, of what <laughs> these legal fees uh, associated with the ongoing dispute have cost the state at this point, uh, which is a, a higher figure than the than had been estimated previously. Okay. Um, and so this is, a, like we said, a state agency. This is not some sort of, you know, independent commission. It's a state agency. Um, and so they are being pretty, pretty transparent about this. Um, the other problem. Uh, the other problem uh, about using this particular fund uh, to pay um, is that it does not require legislature approval. And so you've got some Republicans. In fact, I would love to see if we could get uh, the appropriations chair, Kevin Wallace, on at okay. some point to talk about this. Um, he noted in the story um, that he had lingering questions as to how Stitt and the executive branch was able to pay for these fees, uh, knowing that it should have should have uh, theoretically gone through the legislature. So um, very interesting stuff. And of course, this opens up the door uh, for Attorney General Drummond to really criticize it um, for not just using public funds, uh, but also pointing out again, uh, Kevin Stitt hiring out-of-state attorneys uh, to defend the tribal compacts. Um, he notes that it is a, quote, continued waste of state resources on this matter, end quote. Um um, <laughs> I don't. I don't really have words uh, for this. So this is this is the thing, right? And um, I dealt with something similar to this when I worked in Oklahoma County. What feels like a lifetime ago, uh, when uh, sometimes the the sheriff who at that time oversaw the county jail, yes, yes. Uh, there would be lawsuits against mm -hmm. them, uh, and oftentimes the sheriff would want to hire, rather than use the legal representation from the district attorney's yeah. office, would want to hire outside mm -hmm. attorneys. That would cost the county, obviously, more Absolutely. money to do that. Uh, and so um, it it's not uncommon it's uh, to do this, but I do wonder, because the board in, in that situation, the Board of County Commissioners had to basically say, mm -hmm. we authorize the yep. sheriff to go hire yeah. this legal counsel, right? Uh, one would think yeah. that there would be some kind of oversight for, and, and this isn't just about Stith, this would be about any any, any yes, governor any in, yep. in that, exactly. that position that uh, if they're going to hire outside attorneys rather than yep. using the state's attorneys, the attorney general's office and such, mm -hmm. uh, that there would have to be some type of legislative yep. approval of that, right? Yep. That seems like a good check on abuse of this power. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not accusing, We're I don't want anybody to say that the right. state has abused his power, but I'm just saying that seems like a logical oversight. oversight. Exactly. Right. Oversight right. is the word yeah. of the day, kids. Yeah. That we would want. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is a checks and balance issue. Uh, and and I do think there is a question that, that you know, Stitt and his administration are going to have to answer is, is what are we getting for that three point yeah. three billion dollars? Right. Because uh, now, I, and what resolution are we seeking? Right. Right? right, as a state, he's acting as our chief executive, That's correct? Right. So, what is the state looking to get out of this? Right, um, and it doesn't seem so. This comes on the heels, right, on the heels of uh, the interim study that uh, Speaker McCall yeah. held on uh, Native American relations and the, the tribal relations with the state. Uh, in which the, the the theme coming out of that was the legislature is going to be much more involved in some of these yeah. things going forward, right? I would think so. Uh, so I'm wondering how this is going to fall into that yeah. that category as well. I think it's going to be a real interesting session coming up. Another story that is, is similar in the sense of uh, uh, executive branch officials spending money with, yeah. with is um, Superintendent of Public Instruction, Ryan Walters, recently put out a, uh, I don't know if it was an RFP or what it was, but basically he wants to hire someone to up his media exposure beyond the state of Oklahoma, right, right is yeah, my understanding. National right. level, yes. Uh, and so this, this I don't know if it would be a firm or an individual, but they would not be an employee of the state, right? right? This is going to be right. a consultant or some such. Right. Uh, and the idea is that they would, they had a list of things. They wanted so many uh, opinion editorials. They wanted so many media interviews with national, you know, cable news and whatnot. Yeah. They they had this long list of stuff that they wanted this, whoever it is, to, to produce. And there again, there was a question of, 
is that what the state school superintendent should be pursuing? Is that should that be the priority that they pursue? Right. Um, This, too, comes on the heel of him announcing his endorsement of Trump for president. Right. And how he was going to be active in that campaign. I don't know if he's going to be active in Oklahoma or active in other states or both. But. Yeah, it does seem to coincide with him wanting to lift his image beyond the state of Oklahoma. And let me just say that I'm happy with anybody who can get him to stop making YouTube videos in his car. Um, I think that should be priority number one. Uh, for I this. wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> Come on, media director. <laughs> but um, uh, so and again, this is a, Walters has been criticized, not again, not just by. Uh, his critics and his opponent, his political, but even people who there was recently uh, someone who retired who was overseeing, I think, grants or or something like that. Uh, And in her in leaving, she gave some interviews and in a letter that became public in which she said, you're never here. I was trying to reach out to you. I had all these questions and you never responded to this on, on this. And so there has been some criticism, not all from his opponents, because in that letter, she's like, I look, I support what you're trying to do. I want to be a part of that, right. but I can't because you're not giving me the resources mm-hmm. I need sure. to do that. Uh, and so I think this br- this idea of hiring somebody to do this brings the question back, is his administration using the resources they have for the purpose of bettering education and children. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and yeah. uh, I think that's a tough question that for for his office to answer in, in that regard yeah. for that. So, uh, and listen, we should all be concerned, whether it's a Republican, a Democrat, whoever, we should all be concerned about how officials use the tax dollars they are entrusted with, yeah, right? Absolutely. And we should all be looking at is this the best use of those tax dollars? Does it serve the purpose of that office? Uh, does it serve the purpose of the people of the, the state, right? Exactly. Uh, and uh, and so I don't, you know, I want people to understand that we're not just sitting here taking pot shots at, at, at two Republicans because they're Republicans. They're the people in, in power. They're in these offices. And if it was somebody else doing this, we would have the same same exact questions. That's what, that's what political scientists do, exactly. right, is evaluate this kind of stuff. Uh, something else that didn't happen yes. in Oklahoma, but uh, is a, a state or a local issue. So Murfreesboro, Tennessee, yeah. passed an ordinance. Uh, now, the ordinance uses language that says they're, they're banning uh, sexual activity in public. Right. If you go and you go deeper into how that is defined, one of the things that is considered sexual behavior that would be pu- uh banned or, or punished would be homosexual behavior. So I don't know how that would actually play out. Yeah. Uh, but it was really weird. It is. Yeah. So this story comes off the heels, obviously, uh, of last year, or I guess this year. I don't know what year it is. Uh, this year uh, of Tennessee being one of the states to try to uh, ban drag uh, and, and and drag shows, things like that. Which was struck down by the court. It was. It was. Abs- right? Yes. Yes. Um, so the ordinance is actually uh, a little bit more vague than that. It's not sexual behavior. It's indecent no. behavior. And so okay. the definition of indecent is certainly subjective, Um, but they see it as, quote, indecent exposure, public indecency, lewd behavior, nudity, or sexual conduct. Uh, And so sexual conduct is where they put in homosexuality. And it's just this blanket homosexuality, period. Uh, And so you have a lot of uh, the citizens there concerned about what that means for their lives, right? Um, It goes beyond just the the concern about banning certain books uh, in public libraries or school libraries, things like that. It's about, you know, human beings being able to exist on the streets together. Sure, right. So uh, for those who who aren't quite following, right, so this could possibly, and this is what the criticism is, is that you could have a man and a woman walking down the street holding hands or kissing, but if you had a man and a man or a woman and a woman— doing so, then they could be fall under and get cited or arrested for that behavior, right? And this goes back to equal protection, the equal protection clause uh, that was used, has been used quite a bit uh, to protect uh, the rights of same-sex individuals and not having laws targeted towards them, 
Uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that. One thing I know, uh, the courts do not like vagueness. Right, yes. Uh, and they have consistently strike down yes. laws for being too vague. Uh, so this could be tied up in, in courts. And I think this is the question. We see this in Oklahoma, too. We see it in other yeah, states absolutely. where legislative bodies, city councils, the state legislature, whoever, passes a law that is likely to be unconstitutional Absolutely. on its face. Yeah. And, oh, we do and, they're like, the time. and they're like, we're going to do it. And that's for the lawyers to exactly. worry about. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, if we're talking about using the resources Public and by funds, the way, time yes. is a resource. Yes, we have a limited legislative mm-hmm. session. How much time do we want to take out of that session passing bills? How much time does a city council want to take? passing city ordinances mm-hmm. on things that are likely to be struck down in the courts to begin with, yeah. right? And how much resources do we devote to defending those things, exactly. right? So uh, very... It's interesting. It's a, I mean, and it's um, obviously it's going to get more prevalent as we go into 2024. This is right. this is a hot button issue I'm for both concerned parties. That, that, that you're, you're probably right. Uh, let's come back to Oklahoma yeah. for a second because you were mentioning uh, before we, we came on uh, the textbook committee. So the state has a textbook committee. I, I'm going to rant on that here in a minute, yes. but I want to hear about what, uh, what what's going on with this textbook committee. So the textbook committee regularly meets uh, to determine the curriculum. And so t- it's actually meeting today. Uh, the story broke about this about a month ago. Um, you've got to fight, of course, moms uh, for liberty are very much present in the fight uh, about banning books or making sure that books that the, the books children write in, uh, in, in K-12 through right, right. Uh, are not indoctrinating kids, right? Sure. They're, they're not part of the quote-unquote woke agenda. Um, so this textbook committee is meeting today uh, to approve math books, right? We're not, uh, let me, again, this is about math books, people. Um, we're not talking social studies, humanities, we're talking math um, to use over the next six years. And so Moms Against Liberty um, has filed a complaint against McGraw-Hill and I... I guess we probably should note that we <laughs> maybe we, 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 use, use, we use McGraw Hill books in our division. We do, uh, we do for our American government and lots class. of our other right. departments uh, uh, do as well. They're right. they're a decent publisher. Uh, but the complaint against uh, McGraw Hill by Moms uh, for Liberty uh, notes that in these math books they are teaching social and emotional uh, intelligence. Right? Um, they're part of the woke agenda. So uh, I'm just going to say there's a lot of social science research out there on social and emotional intelligence and social and emotional learning. Uh, And this is going to lead into a rant here in a minute. But I want to let you go ahead and and, and give us some more information on on this. I mean, it's. It really kind of incredible. So uh, McGraw-Hill certainly responded. Their, ch- their chief academic officer, uh, McClarty, noted that McGraw-Hill firmly believes that student success in academics is tied not just to the quality of the content, uh, but also pedagogy, right? We, we talk how about we teach how things. we teach these kids. Um, and so it may not uh, always align with, I guess, what we let state legislators or state executives think um, is appropriate. But, um, you know, they note that this is part of the, the trend, right? That, st- that I'm sorry, that most publishers uh, are incorporating some sort of social emotional learning in textbooks. But I would be I'd be hard pressed. I'd like to see the word problem in like a calculus textbook um, that is teaching me that uh, I need to go, you know, pr- protest with my fist out or something. Right, I'm just, right. I, I'm flummoxed by this situation and I will let you go on your rant. So, um, it's just ridiculous. Here, I think. Here's my thing. Why do we have a state textbook committee? How many school we boards have, do we have? We have tons of school board. We have 500 school districts. I'm going to assume that means there's a school board for each of those, right? We have thousands of teachers who have studied their their disciplines, who know what they're doing. We should be entrusting these folks to be able to choose the curriculum that they believe best suits their students, that will best facilitate learning in their students. I don't need some state board up here somewhere saying, you can't use this one, you can't use that one. Oh, you must do, or you, you can use that. Those folks pay no consequence if they are wrong. You know who pays the consequence? The students Mm -hmm. and the teachers who are having to deal with that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so this is just 
infuriates me a little bit that that we have a, a committee that nobody knows who's on this textbook committee, right? Uh, they're probably appointed. Probably the governor has some appointees. The speaker has some appointees. Yep. Nobody knows who these people. How do we hold them accountable if they make bad decisions, right? right? Um, quit this nonsense. That's my tr- quit it. Trust teachers to teach. Yep. Uh, and if the school boards don't think those teachers are doing a good job or they don't think they're using the right curriculum, they can address that. But these folks at the state level have no business trying to dictate who uses what math books or government textbooks or history books or anything else. They don't know. They don't know. Uh, Let the people on the ground doing the work, let them choose what they want. I love the libertarian rant. This is great. No, this is perfect. And and listen, if the parents in that school district don't think Mm -hmm. that they're choosing right, and they have a problem with it, they have two options now. They can go to that school board and they can say, look, we have objections to this. Or they can use that new tax credit that they have and they can go choose another school. Right? Right. Uh, And so there are so many other ways of addressing this. This is not stuff that, the state is competent to do, number one, uh, and it is not something that it is beneficial for it to do. And we should stop this madness. And that's my libertarian rant for the I day. love it, right? Because it's overreach. It it's it's it overreach, right? And so, the, again, this is... This is, listeners, where we meet uh, at the ends of our political ideologies. Uh, I really, and and this is perfect. So the math mindset is what they are, Moms for Liberty, uh, are arguing uh, that it, quote, promotes self-awareness, self-regulation, and skills for relationship building and decision making, which... Boy, that sounds horrible. I just, I can't imagine. I don't imagine want my kids learning any of that stuff. Having critical thinking skills. Right? Um, yeah, I don't understand. What is what is so scary about this? Um, having critical, independent thinking skills is just sure, terrifying. Right? I would think I would want people who In were skilled math at book. math to also be skilled at critical thinking. I'm scared thinking. of math, but for different reasons. <laughs> right? I just, I don't know. I don't know. And that leads into uh, another yes. another state thing that you, you were wanting to talk about, which is this House Bill 1397. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Just interestingly, again, Oklahoma Voice does such a good job. Shout out again. Um, So they reported last week uh, on 1397, which instructs the State Department of Education uh, to basically develop an optional curriculum uh, to teach about the civil rights movement in compliance with uh, House Bill 1775. Um, So it's a Republican-sponsored bill, an authored bill, uh, so uh, LIPAC from Claremore. uh, And again, He's really advocating for uh, teaching about Martin Luther King Jr., the events of civil rights, uh, the movement of uh, from 1954 to 68, which I think is interesting. They kind of delineated, uh, you know, the movement when it began and when it uh, ended anyway. Um, but I don't I'm, I'm not sure. And so it's, it's getting some pushback, obviously, um, from folks like teachers sure. uh, who are concerned uh, about whether or not it goes far enough. Uh, of course, if you don't recall, House Bill 1775 uh, passed in 2021 prohibits schools from teaching uh, things that students find uh, discomforting or right. that they feel guilty uh, about. Um, it's I mean, obviously, a controversial bill. Um, it's just. I, I'm I'm just not sure how well it's going to address, uh, you know, the entirety of the civil rights movement. It's it's really hard to cherry pick, uh, you know, to talking about Martin Luther King Jr. versus talking about Rosa Parks, right? Uh, if you're talking about MLK, um, then you're not covering because Rosa came before that, and so you're really kind of cherry picking uh, exactly what you want the students to know. Um, I think that might be a little bit dangerous. I mean, obviously, if it's starting from 1954, uh, when are they learning about, you know, the end of the Civil War? When are they learning about slavery? When are they learning about Reconstruction? When are they learning about lynchings? When are they learning about, you know, any of the things that are part of American history, not just Black history or African-American history. That's concerning. It it is American history, right? It is American history. Uh, So here's, I said I was done with my rant. I'm not sure I am. Yay, go for it. (laughs) Uh, Again, if you are, if you're teaching about civil liberties or civil rights in the United States and and you're not making people uncomfortable, if you're not uncomfortable as you're teaching it, you're probably not doing it right. 
there's tons of stuff that have happened in this country, right? And I'm a bit, I'm an optimist. We've, we've had these discussions before. I believe in progress. We've made tremendous progress in these areas, opening up more opportunity for people to have their full citizenship rights, opening up more opportunity for people to express their, their civil liberties, operate within their civil liberties, to create a more equal society where we're not saying, oh, you're that race. You have to sit over there at this restaurant or we, you know, we've made tons of progress on that, right? Uh, but we didn't make that progress easily. No. We did not pray, we did not make that process absent conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and to try to teach this in a way that doesn't make anybody feel uncomfortable, you're not teaching them the right stuff. Absolutely. Uh, this is complicated stuff. Very. It should make us all uncomfortable in discussing it. Not uncomfortable in the sense that I feel guilty for something somebody did 50 or 100 years ago, right. but uncomfortable that we had a society at one time that viewed public lynchings as okay. Right that viewed harassing people for their sexual orientation as okay. Yeah. Uh, there was a time when that was that was perceived as just fine. And we should be uncomfortable in discussing that and say, what can we do? Are there places in our society where some of this is still lingering around? What can we do about it, yes, right? Exactly. Uh, and as, as a libertarian, I'm going to say, first of all, lots of that discrimination, lots of that hostility came from governments, right? Governments, state governments across this country enforced Jim Crow laws, wrote them, enforced them. The first bill passed by the state Senate in Oklahoma was a Jim Crow law, uh-huh. right? Um so states were, were, it's not like they were just neutral arbiters. and, and no. They were active in this. Um, and, and so the first thing we have to do is how do we prevent states from, yes. from doing this, right? Then it's what can we do as individuals to ensure that we're not uh, contributing to that, right? But I just, it just, again, it crawls up my back that people are like, oh, we shouldn't make our children feel uncomfortable. Yes, we should, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense that they understand this is where we've come from. This is what we need to be thinking about. How do we ensure that we continue progress that we've made, right? right? How do we enlarge the number of people in our society who actually really have full citizenship in this country, who have the protections that the Bill of Rights offers, who have uh, equal protection of the laws, right? That's what we should be looking at. And these are hard conversations to they have. They are. They and you can't do a, a painting a rosy picture on everything. Absolutely not. No. I again it, the the really the 1954 uh, you know to 65 delineation is concerning, right? The first Civil Rights Act was passed in 1866, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you you are missing everything um, up to Martin Luther King Jr. Effectively. And well, so, and, yeah. And, it just, it's concerning. It's concerning. Uh, you're also missing uh, in that time frame two highly important Supreme Court cases yeah. from Oklahoma uh, in relation to access to higher education for, uh, in this case, for women and African Americans, right? And so uh, uh, how do you not include that in this, right? Those are Oklahoma-related cases, yeah. and because they don't fit within that time frame, our students aren't going to learn about them? Right. That makes no sense. Again, we should be trusting teachers to know what they want to teach, and we should entrust school boards and parents to work together to say, here's what we think is important to do, right? I've gone to two curriculum nights so far, and my kid is in pre-K, four-year-old in pre-K in Norman Public Schools. I mean, they're great about it. If you want to be involved... Be involved in the entire process. Right. Don't, don't get just, yeah, exactly. Don't just come with you know the pitchfork. Right. the uh, The other thing that I want to talk about here is look, you and I have been in school a long time. We were in school. I'm a never long leaving. Time, right. <laughs> um, I sat in classes with teachers and professors that taught. Uh, things that I didn't necessarily agree with. Sure, I sat and, and heard a, a perspective that I thought, I don't think their perspective is right. But you know what? I can still learn from that. Absolutely. Uh, we should not be saying you can only have this perspective and this is, that's not education either. It's indoctrination right. from exactly, the other side. That's exactly what that is, I mean, right? Uh, I want as varied, I want my, you know, when my kids go to college, I want them exposed to a whole range of perspectives mm-hmm. 
uh, and a whole range of ideas. And then they can form based on what they've learned and based on their experience, they can form their perspective from seeing these others, right? I don't want my, as much as I love being a libertarian, I don't want my kids, every professor being a libertarian because there's way more than that perspective out there and they need to be exposed to those things, right? college is about. Uh, You would think, right? Um, You wanted to also talk about, we had some elections this week, right? No, not this week. Uh, Uh, Was it last week? It was, I don't know what, I thought it was early this week. I don't know what, well, we had elections. We, there's been a bunch of different elections. Um, So on, at the national level is the one, the ones I wanted to talk about um, from the 7th um, of November. And so Ohio specifically uh, is the one I really wanted to talk about because I think it sets up, uh, again, a conversation that we've been having uh, consistently over the past at least couple of months about what the, the GOP is really running on. How, what, as a party, um, how are they coming together, not just uh, to sort of move on from Trump, um, but what issues really define this new Republican Party? Um, and abortion is not it. Um, so, so Ohio um, was yet another state uh, in, on November 7th. A relatively red state, uh, yeah, yes, right. Republican controlled. Um, it ha- yes, right. Uh, it has been known as a swing state in the past, but yeah, more recently has been pretty pretty consistently red. Um, so they voted not only uh, to enshrine the right to abortion in their constitution, but also to legalize marijuana. Uh, on the same evening, uh, you had a couple of different other elections, uh, specifically the Kentucky governor's race, which is very interesting. Uh, you had Democrat Andy Bashir retain his retain seat, his right? Seat. He, the incumbent against a Trump-endorsed uh, Republican, African-American, uh, running for governor. And so that was a really interesting race as well. Um, So in terms of the ballot measures in Ohio, I think the exit polling is really really critical here uh, and why I think the GOP might be in trouble in terms of a strategy uh, and need to maybe pull that together pretty quick. Uh, So uh, the total demographics in terms of male they were 47% uh, of the total vote uh, for the right to abortion. 53% of the male vote voted yes. 47% no. So even a majority of the male yeah. voters yes. voted uh, 53 yes, okay. 47 no. Female made up 53% uh, of the total population voting. 60% yes, 40% no. Break it down by race. This is where it gets really interesting. So 85% of the total votes were, were white, Caucasian okay. votes. yes, 47% no. Black, 10% of the total vote, 83% yes, 17% no. Hispanic, 3% of the total vote, 73% yes, 27% no. So overall, the the, uh, 85% of the total vote was Caucasian uh, or white, so 53% yes, 47% no. Uh, And non-white was a total of 15% uh, of the vote, 79% yes, 21% no. So that's where you see that that margin. uh, Yeah, yeah. and so uh, this seems... uh, in state after state, we've seen this in Kansas. We've yes. seen this in, in a couple of other states that are predominantly red, yeah. and they are voting to protect some level of access to, to abortion, yeah. right? Uh, and I think, you know, you always say, be careful what you ask for, right? Conservatives yeah. have consistently said we want to get Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. overturned. Uh, and I find it somewhat ironic that what might result from that is actually greater protections for yeah. abortion mm-hmm. uh, than what existed mm-hmm. uh, yeah. prior to that, yes, right? Exactly. Uh, and so this is going to be an interesting thing. Now, the questions that I'm going to have: Does this now in, in states that have done this, mm-hmm. does this kind of take that issue off the table for both parties? Right. So Democrats in that say, say we protected it here, yeah. and so does that yeah. that motivate less motivate Democrat voters yeah. who might be inclined to vote on yeah. that, yeah. right? Uh, Republicans have they overwhelmingly uh, and did you break that down? How did Republican voters? Vote? Uh, no, I did not. I, that um, would be interesting to see too. I did not because, get that demographic. Uh, I, I would really. Uh, my bet is it was pretty close even among so. voters. Yeah. You have to have some Republicans voting for oh, that Lord, to yes. get to a sixty percent or so margin, right? Yeah. So. Uh, yes, abortion may be, and I think this would be good for American politics, maybe moving away from being the the issue that everybody polarizes around, right? Uh, because and of what's happening in these states. That's right, happening in, in these states. Uh, we're going to be looking at other issues. In fact, there was an uh, article in the Oklahoman 
a month or so ago discussing just that very thing, right? Is, is abortion being replaced by other issues, uh, at least on the Republican side uh, yeah. uh, of things? So very, very interesting election results. I thought so, too. Um, so uh, on that, so liberals accounted apparently for 34 percent of the votes in the exit polling uh, in Ohio, which was up um, quite a bit from 20 percent in the 2022 midterms uh, and 21 percent in the 2020 election. Um and so backing um, 94 to 6% for abortion sure. um, and 85 to 15 for marijuana. Uh, for Republicans, um, it's they were 35% uh, of the voters, which was down six percentage points from the 2022 midterms. That's a low, apparently, since 2012. Uh, and voters said 61% to 37 that abortion should be legal. So 61% of Republican voters. My right? goodness. So this is this is what my we're seeing in goodness. state after state, right? That's there is, there, way that's, bigger than I would have expected. Again, we have polarized folks at the extremes, right? No abortion everywhere anytime or abortion all the time everywhere. And then you have the public, which is in yeah. the middle, and says – we think abortion should be legal and protected in certain circumstances. Right. We do think certain restrictions should be placed on it. That's where the majority of the people are. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing in these election results is yeah. they're not buying into these extremes, yeah. right? So does that translate on the I'm national level? I'm wondering what that's going to do in uh, – I think we're more likely to see abortion being taken off the table as an issue that either party, party – Yeah, wants to discuss, yeah. Uh, especially in especially in these states like that have passed the, these kind of laws. And these are citizens. Right. This is not the legislature passing right. this. Right? You send it back to the states. This is I mean, the that was citizens what the decision of these states pass these initiatives exactly. uh, to, to get that done. Right. Wow. Very interesting. Woo, that's a lot of stuff to cover. And it just sets up. It really does set up for a very interesting 2024. Right. Uh, and we're going to have uh, primary presidential primary elections starting in even though New Hampshire, you know, yeah. uh, they're they're taking a hit they by are. by maintaining their on the Democrat side. Right. Because yes. the Democrat Party has said tried to push it. We're not going to uh, recognize your delegates and, and Biden's not going to be on the ballot yeah. in, in the in the Democrat primary. They don't care. And New Hampshire's like, we don't care. Yeah. We're running it. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, it's going to be an interesting election year, I think. And yeah. th these issues and how they play out, how voters perceive them mm -hmm. and what that means for who they mark their ballot for is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, hey, this is our episode prior to Thanksgiving. I thought we might end real quickly on just some things that we're thankful for. And if you want, I'll go first. I can, I've got a, 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 some things in mind. I, of course, uh, very thankful for my family. And, and for those who don't know, I have a large family, relatively large. Um, uh, and I have a, a, a wonderful wife. Uh, I have great five kids. Uh, they're all you know, they're all doing well. And I'm just very thankful. Nobody has had physical ailments. Nobody has had to deal with uh, uh, emotional trauma or things like that that have, you know, uh, caused problems. Uh, nobody is, you know, addicted to anything. So I've been really, really uh, thankful uh, for my family and and their encouragement. I've told you I, I make my daughters, my my youngest two, listen to our podcast, yes. and they're constantly giving me feedback on on that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a a a job that I enjoy going to. I mean, there have been times when I've had jobs that I was like miserable. I was like, I have to do this again. That's not the job I'm in. Uh, I'm thankful for a work colleague like you, Dr. Emily Stacy, who uh, drags me into all sorts of things and keeps me a little younger than I uh, actually am by being involved. Uh, I uh, So I'm very appreciative of someone who collaborates with me so much and we do so much uh, stuff together. Uh, that's certainly something I'm, I'm very thankful for. Uh, and I, I'm just thankful that, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of people in a lot of worse situations than I and my family are in. And I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to do some of the things that we do. Uh, and my hope, my hope is that we increase the opportunities for others as well. Right. Uh, so uh, I'm thankful for all of that. 
Uh, and, um, and just, uh, you know, I, I feel very, very blessed yeah. if I can say that I, I do. I think so too. Yeah. I, uh, same for me, right. Uh, I am very thankful for my, my family as well. Christopher, uh, is sort of my rock and kind of keeps me sane most days, uh, and our adorable, just sassy miniature Tide Pod version of me. Uh, Evie is uh, fantastic. In fact, this afternoon, uh, she's won a hero award at her little elementary school. Nice. Um, and so we awesome. right, already uh, mommy's little overachiever. So I'm very excited for that and just all the support and that I am blessed to have with my family as well. Um, yeah, man, I, it's not a job. This is, I mean, they pay us to talk about politics. Politics. They pay for like insurance for my child, um, for me to to get to live my dream. And so this is it's not work for me. I know I, I drag you into a lot of stuff. We do a lot of things. I am tired, but uh, it's all so fulfilling for the students, for us. It's just absolutely a dream come true to be able to work at Rose State for, um, you know, wonderful students with wonderful faculty. And so I am very grateful for my work wife, for my work husband, who is here on the podcast with me. Um, I'm just, you know. We're, we're lucky human beings. We've, we we've got a lot of cool stuff going on, man. And, and I hope everybody out there listening has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, it takes some time to appreciate what you have. Uh, take some time to express that appreciation yeah. to people because uh, we never know when they're not going to be there around for us to do that with. And better, better for us to express that now while we have them with us. Yes, sir. All right. We will see everybody next time. love communication that goes both ways, not just you listening to us pontificate. We would love to hear from our audience. If you have comments, suggestions, or would like to contact us about possibly being a guest on the show, please email notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu. Hey listeners, this is Santiago Ramones with Not My Generation. Sometimes, when discussing a variety of items on the show, James or Emily get things like names or years wrong. So, I'm here to correct the record, so to speak. In today's program, when James and Emily were discussing the confrontation between Senator Mullen and a labor leader, they identified the wrong labor leader. Senator Mullen's dispute was with Sean O'Brien, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, not Sean Fain, who is, in fact the president of the United Automobile Workers Union. Also, in discussing recent revelations from attorneys representing former President Donald Trump, James misidentified one of those attorneys as Jenna Nelson. The correct name was Jenna Ellis. Finally, it was Senator Charles Sumner from Massachusetts who, in 1856, was beaten brutally not by a fellow senator, but by Representative Preston Brooks over an anti-slavery speech Sumner had delivered a few days earlier. According to the U.S. Senate's website, Representative Brooks, quote, chose a light cane of the type used to discipline unruly dogs, unquote, with which to beat Senator Sumner. Not My Generation is a joint production of the Rose State Political Science Program and Possibilities, Inc. Today's show was produced and mixed by me, Santiago Ramones. You can follow Not My Generation on Twitter at NMG Podcast and on Facebook at Not My Generation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.